Welcome to This Is Influence. It's a show about how B2B brands and execs can become more influential. My guest this week is Mark Schwake, the best-selling author of Boring to Brave, The Bravery as a Strategic Mindset Transforming B2B Marketing. He was also former editor of Marketing Week and has held several senior positions in large B2B brands. And he's on a mission to totally transform B2B marketing. If you're interested in how the bravest B2B brands build distinct, dynamic and dominant brands that frankly win market share, then strap yourself in because this episode is just not to be missed. He's so much fun. He's wicked smart. He's got so much personality. There are very few people on this planet who are as knowledgeable about what it takes to build enduring, successful B2B brands. So this is old. This is new. This is Influence. Mark Schwakey, welcome to This is Influence. Nathan, I'm really excited. How are you? Super excited to have you on the show, Mark. I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you for a very long time. Let's start with a conversation about creativity and the importance of creativity as a differentiator for B2B brands. How can B2B brands use creativity as a strategic differentiator? The very fact that we're having this conversation stems from a general knowledge, a general understanding that in B2B, we do not use creativity, we do not use emotion, we do not use humor, we do not use um, long-running, long-sustaining campaigns, and we do not use uh, a, a, a large variety of channels. Now, with all of those three things, the time spent on a campaign, the number of channels it proliferates across, and mostly um, a kind of um, a, a creativity and a, and, a, and a way to engage one, we are declining in effectiveness. If you take any of the studies take um, put together recently in recent years by Les Burnett and Peter Field, the so-called godfathers of effectiveness, two absolute legends, bally heroes of mine, yeah. Um, Walk, the B2B Institute, the Lions, um, System One Research, any of these guys, they're telling you that our effectiveness in B2B marketing is declining. They're telling you that 75% of our uh, advertising efforts drive 0% in market share. That's damning. Damning, shocking. Well, it's it's damning, and 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 it's not an easy fix. And the, the, the reason, if we go back to your question, the actual reason that creativity is a differentiator it's not actually because using creativity works. It's because hardly anybody else will. It's If your question was, how does creativity work and what does creativity do to your campaign, that's a different answer. But the, but the, the answer to the question, why is it a differentiator, is simply because out of 10 competitors, eight of them probably won't use creativity. So if you do, you are by nature uh, a differentiator, right? And here's the thing. The reason they don't is because of fear. I think we're in a really interesting period in B2B marketing, Nathan. I think we're in, in a really exciting era where we now know what works. We've seen the research from all the aforementioned parties, System One Research, Ritson, Les Binet, all of those guys. Mark's We've B2B seen it, Institute, yeah. right? The problem is it's bloody hard to sell in. It's really scary to sell in. It's scary across the 
process of selling it. it. The moment you bring up with your leadership team that you want to take a different approach, right, and you describe what you want to do, you, we want to do some long-term brand building or some creativity or use emotion to engage um, feelings of sustained love for our brand, they're going to think you're balmy and yeah. they're going to lose confidence in you. Or no, the fear is that they're going to lose confidence in you as a marketer um, in a really tough market, in a really tough time. And you, the worry is that you're going to lose your job even before you've done it, even just as you're selling in. Even if you successfully sell it in, you're worried that it's not going to work. And what if you've got this wrong? Instead of, you know, and, and if it goes wrong, you're worried that you'll be given sole responsibility because you championed it. And so that's you out of a job. The problem is, Nathan, if you don't do this stuff and your effectiveness declines because effectiveness is declining, you're going to be out of a job anyway, right? And so here's my take. It's not that using creativity and emotion and building strong brands in B2B is a new thought for any of us. It kind of isn't. We've done that. We've spent the last two years understanding that. I think the thing that's um, difficult to do and the thing that I'm going to try and help, the problem I'm going to try and help solve is not what we do, but how we do it. So how do we influence? How do we lead? How do we sell in? How do we... And the answer is we've got to have the confidence of people that know our field in a way nobody else across the organisation does. And we've got to do what they would all do in their field of expertise. We've got to lead. We've got to be leaders. Part of that leadership comes from bravery. Heading back to your book, Bravery as a Strategic Differentiator, how do you encourage the B2B marketer to stand up in a board meeting with the CEO or the rest of the C-suite and be brave and actually say, we're going to take a different approach here. We're, we're going to be creative. We're not going to do the same thing that our 10 competitors are doing. We're going to do something different. We're going to stand out. We're going to put our head on the chopping block. That takes a very brave and confident marketing decision maker to be able to do that because there's so much reputational risk on the line. So how do you encourage a B2B marketer to be brave and to step out and do something different, which ultimately may end up not working? Yeah, absolutely. But as I said, we B2B marketers know what levers we need to pull on to make more of our marketing. It's documented. It's now not just instincts. It's scientifically proven over hundreds of case studies and hundreds of examples. The hard part often isn't figuring out what you need to do. The hard part, like I said, is influencing the rest of the organization that, and here's the killer, doesn't know what you know about marketing. In the same way, Nathan, as you and I don't know what the finance chief knows about, like we know enough to understand that their job is to keep us afloat, and we understand enough about law and the legal guy to understand that his or her job is to keep us out of jail, we know what needs to be done in marketing. We're just not very good at selling in with uh, confidence. So we need the authority, the credibility, the evidence, the data. It's all there. We need to understand things about our customers' needs that nobody else does. And we need to be leaders about it. We need to be leaders with a leader's influence and not just a marketer. It's time for us to stop being just a marketer and start being leaders. And, you know, this is important stuff to go deep and broad in your organization. You need to get this stuff right. The, 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 the difference between a good and a bad marketer, I reckon, used to be about skills and experience. Now it's not. The difference between a good B2B marketer and a bad B2B marketer is this stuff. It's the authority, the credibility, and the arguments made in order to wrestle back the levers of budget and investment and trust and action 
from the rest of the leadership team and say, actually, guys, this is our turf. We 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 know it. We know the science. We know the art. It's not. There's not one right answer, as Rory Sutherland keeps telling us. But trust me, I I have our best interests at heart, and I know what I'm doing. Yeah, and as you said, there's no excuse because the data is out there for the first time, probably in B two B history. We have empirical data now about what works when it comes to building successful brands in B2B. I know, who'd have thought? (laughs) Who'd who'd have thought? Because up until this point, it was really very much opinion-based and and what the marketer thought, right? And, you know, everyone in in the C-suite had an opinion about about marketing and no one else does about, as you said, finance or operations or or law. Um, Marketing is one of those only fields that everyone has an opinion on. But... Now we have empirical data to actually show the reason why we need to be different and, and creative and the impact that's going to have on our on our brand. There have been, haven't there, a string of utter heroes and legends just coming out the woodwork in the last three or four years, starting with Burnett and Field, but right up to the guys at System One Research who recently, this was not missed. I mean, Ritson wrote about it, so it got some pretty good airing, but I haven't seen it largely quoted outside of that. They came up with this research that said, by the way, your brand building efforts also um, affect positively your bottom of the funnel sales efforts. So every pound you spend on brand building doesn't just do your brand building. It also has a good positive charging effect on your, your, your bottom of the funnel stuff. The reverse is not true. And all this great proof, these guys have been like the marketing version of the Avengers. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, Avengers Assemble, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. These guys are, the, they should, we should make them all capes and we should put them all in Lycra and we should give each of them their own special <laughs> power and, uh, you know, and goggles and stuff and fly them around the bloody world like we used to with the, Glo- the, the Harlem Globetrotters. Um, these guys have done the business. We, you're, you're absolutely right. We have got the empirical data now. There is no excuse. The um, question, and this is what I hope to help solve with turning the book into uh, an online set of courses to launch in July um, for B2B marketers. Um, the question is, how do you now use that data to go and change the world of what we do? Because you've got some people to convince and there's processes and there's proof and there's people and there's things, there's obstacles there. But how do we now go and do it? How can I turn my efforts to making sure more of us feel like leaders and not just marketers? That's what I'm out to solve. So how do you do that then? What are the steps that a leader needs to take in order to convince the rest of their peers to adopt this behavior? Yeah. So if you think about a B2B marketing course, typically... It might, you know, there's plenty of them out there and really good ones as well that run by everyone from the CIM to Google to the LinkedIn Institute probably has its own training, right? That um, You probably have a ton of courses all talking about digital skills, right? So how to run a better ABM campaign, how to make your email marketing work better, what tools are good, what tools are bad. My course isn't that. My course is how to go from boring to brave. And that's less about the skills and more about everything from the fundamentals. So starting with the introduction of a case for bravery, the fundamentals of marketing, let's get back to it because there's a lot that we don't do in B2B marketing. Like where the hell are the other three Ps? Like we need to we need to start figuring out what we do to wrestle that stuff back, turning our businesses into brands, the power of commercial creativity, um, making making sure we we understand how to win influence rather than just talking about it. And, you know, 
how many roundtables have you been to, Nathan, where the um, the theme is or topic is somewhere around marketing or in the boardroom or we belong in the boardroom or, yeah, you know, the voice of the so customer many. around the board table. It's, let's not do that anymore. Let's not have another roundtable doing it. Let's understand what it takes to work with sales rather than for sales and what it takes to win conversations with your CEO. Like, let's get some CEOs in to explain to us how they want to be pitched to and see if we can get them to take elements of the course so that they understand. You know, let's talk about winning the conversations with the CFO. Um, then onto things like campaign design and measurement and reporting. But it's more about you and your career, the soft skills. It's the B2B marketing landscape in the decade ahead, the value of you, getting fired and getting hired, because frankly, those are two things that we're all going to need to deal with. And arguably, if you get fired for doing the right thing in a company uh, from your field of expertise, maybe it's not the right company. Um, but our leap to leadership, and you know, I'm, I'm talking very much about um, unpopular truths and the metrics that matter and, you know, how demand, you know, we, 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 we're brilliant at coming up with names for stuff in marketing, like, you know, tofu, bofu and mofu and no, and, you know, lead gen and demand gen, build a brand, build a strong brand, understand how to do that and what it means. And you don't need to worry about demand. Demand comes through, um, through, through the building of a brand. And in the words of the, um, I think you were going to ask me a bit later about the, um, the the kind of my thoughts or the influence of the um, the B two B Institute's effectiveness ladder. Uh, mm. uh, you know, thinking beyond brand, actually thinking beyond single lead gen or single trigger response to brand, but thinking beyond building a brand to more long term strategic, iconic uh, presence in a market. So you become part of the part of the cultural furniture of B two B. That sounds really hard to do. It sounds it sounds great, and it's, it sounds like the thing that every B two B marketer should be aspiring to do. But it sounds really hard. Just like it sounds really hard to be more creative and add more creativity to your B two B marketing. What does that mean? You know, there are different levels to creativity, and I, I can't remember whether it was part of the B two B Institute, but there are five different levels that they talk about in, in terms of effectiveness of. B2B ads and, and B2B campaigns. I wondered whether you could just talk about the different levels of creativity and what are the things that we need to do in order to become more creative? I think this is really important. Sure. I mean, yes, it is really hard, but it has to work because I've told Deborah, my wife, it's our pension. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the mortgage uh, is based on. Yeah, I haven't got much else. Um <laughs> Um, so I think what you're referring to is in the B2B effectiveness ladder, there's like six levels, aren't there? And these aren't, I, I, I saw your question and, and I thought about it and I really want us to be careful about the wording here. These are not levels of creativity. These are levels of business events that come from being creative. So it's about ambition, actually. It's about the ambition. It's how you use creativity to do levels one to six. Now the six um, to run through them very, very quickly, the six um, aims and ambitions uh, of a campaign from bottom upwards, so from kind of a hierarchy of the six main types of effects that B2B marketing produces from least commercially impact impactful to, to, to the most, is some kind of response trigger. So that's 
get somebody somewhere to come to my events or download my thing. Number two is lead generator. Like, how can we get more generation of leads, like leads that are likely to buy? Number three, a campaign around with the ambition of closing sales, right? And that makes sense. Again, um, again, if you're talking about fear in B2B marketing, most of our campaigns and our activities are those three, uh, yeah. ambition-wise. Those are fully recognizable. They're fully understood by the the company, the business, the functions outside of marketing. That's what they pretty much mean by marketing. Find a response, get somebody to download something, right, they've done it, let's call it a lead, and let's turn the lead into a sale and you're done. That's your whole job. Sure. You don't need to go any further. That's that's what they understand by marketing. Yeah. The next three levels, again, in increasing order of uh, commercial impact, are fame maker as a campaign, so something that kind of... Um, creates awareness and talkability, um, brand builder, so not just fame, but actual affinity, so creating generous levels of affinity with a, your brand. And number six, strategic asset, which is, you know, how to drive the business forward into the future. And this is a really, if you haven't seen it, it's put together by the B2B Institute. Really simple. Walk so and lions. Effective. And yep. you're right. It looks like a ladder. It's six boxes. It's so simple. But I reckon if you show that to any CEO and say, look, the things that we're doing are all good, but they're the least impactful commercially. Look where we could be in growing long-term sustainable growth rather than one by one, one in, one out, dollar in, dollar out, you know. But it's about aligning incentives. And I think the first three steps on that ladder are all about the incentives that are, that are put in place for the marketing decision maker. Trigger, you know, generate a response to a trigger, generate some leads, close the sale. That is, those are our quarterly goals. Those are our quarterly targets. That's, that's what the business is incentivized for. And that's what, the incentive of the of the marketing leader is 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 to do the the last three fame builder brand builder strategic asset there aren't any metrics to evaluate our performance on on those three things so we don't measure it if it's not incentivized then we're not going to do anything about it got it you talked about empirical evidence before just to be clear to your listeners hey listeners um this is all put together in something called the b2b effectiveness code uh, that the B2B Institute did. And it's based, that that ladder is based on 10 or 11 years of the three or 400 most, I think there's 450 or something, the most successful, impactful, commercially uh, generative B2B campaigns ever. Yeah, we're going to have to link to it because people are, conceptually, it's going to be hard. <laughs> it's complete, it's got to be in the links to this podcast episode. It's amazing. Yeah. But basically, they're looking at the best B2B campaigns ever. They found five or six different aims and ambitions and sorted out the behaviors. So whilst you can't put metrics easily by being a strategic asset or a brand builder of a campaign, you can look back in history and see what are the things that have worked the most and the best. And by the way, when you talk about the first three, the, the uh, trigger response, the lead gen, the sale closer... There's a lovely line in there in that report that your readers, if they if they dig in, will come across. Um, and it's it, it, it's a saying that's you know fairly common in tech is that you ship your organizational chart, and what that means is 
B2B marketing teams are typically smaller than the sales team within an organization, often subordinate in terms of decision-making power, just like you said, Nathan. And that means, basically, the work produced often looks more like a sales campaign targeting current buyers than a marketing campaign designed to create new ones with new demand. So I think two things. I think we're in this position we are where something needs to change and this evidence has come to light and we've got the tools to do it. We're in the position we are largely because the understanding of marketing's remit is tiny and reduced and narrow, but also because we don't do ourselves any favours. And if you think about we don't do ourselves any favours, there was a, a really good piece of research done in 2022 by an agency called Frameworks. They talked to 150 B2B marketers uh, senior leaders of marketing functions in businesses of 500 people or more, right? So CMOs at big companies. 73% of them said it's going to be harder this year than ever to get seen by our target audience. So three quarters of them saying it's going to be harder than ever to get seen by the people we want to get seen by. Okay, so we're in for a hard time. The same sample, 90% of them said we're going to stick to something safe and traditional rather than try something new. So three quarters of them saying it's going to get harder, 90% of them saying, but yeah, we'll probably just stick to the same thing. A hundred percent. ridiculous. Oh my God, that drives me bloody crazy. Like, yeah. you know, you've already said it's going to be harder than ever, so something needs to break. And yet you're sitting there going, but, you know, let's try again what we did last year. No. What in- sense does that make? Absolutely crazy. So there's got to be a there's got to be a certain level of us taking it upon ourselves to make this change happen because I'm not prepared to put up with this anymore. I'm not prepared to spend the rest of my career in B2B marketing watching us scared to do the right things and make the right impact because it's just going to be too hard. I don't want that. I, that's not the world I want. That's not the business and the industry and the culture and the environment I want to exist in. I want to exist in a culture and an environment where we're not calling for uh, something ridiculous. We're calling for a new understanding of the B2B marketing, the power of B2B marketing and the the value of it and for us to lead in that spread of that understanding and for us to go and do what we should be doing for businesses. That's the world I want to live in. And that call to arms leads me nicely onto your book because that's exactly what your book did to me. As I was reading it, I was like, this is a slap across the face. This is waking me up and it should wake up every B2B marketer to realize the potential that they have to do something different and just stand out. And, you know, we're not talking about reinventing the wheel here. We're just talking about being different to your 10 other competitors that are also cloud competitors that are also putting pictures of, of clouds on their on their cloud migration software images. It, it's like, you know, it makes intuitive sense. And it was a huge slap in the face. Tell us about why you wrote the book and why should we read it and what do you want people to get out of it? I wrote the book largely because I'd been in like you in this in this industry that just simply wasn't living up to our potential, and it sucked. And you know, um, you say it slapped you across the face. I wish I'd got you to write that at the time. Um, <laughs> Sam Conniff, who who wrote Be More Pirate, wrote it's a rowdy but charming hoodlum of a business book. I love that. I'll, I'll, I come from Liverpool. Mm. We like ourselves uh, seeing ourselves as rowdy but charming hoodlums. Yeah, rowdy. but like it was literally that. It was gosh, if every single time I try and get a new job and start and I'm going to be here for two years because that's at that point they're going to, something's going to go wrong and they're going to blame it on me and they're going to sack me. I, in the meantime, if I'm going to 
be here knowing that's likely to happen. I want to be doing my best work and changing the fortunes of this business. And yet, what I'm more likely to do is one of two things. I'm either going to have to spend every single week reminding them why we're going to do things differently, or I'm going to just, you know, play it safe, try and eke out six more months than than I would have done anyway, pay off another bit of my mortgage and create work that I can't show to my kids, I can't show to my wife, I can barely mm. look at myself, I'm boring myself to tears, <laughs> you know, Oh, good. Are we going to go blue again? Barclays blue. Brilliant. Um, you know. Uh, sounds very personal. Yeah. It's, it's like, I'm just, it sounds like it's actually happened. I'm just not prepared to not enjoy my life. And, and, and there were so many of us who know this stuff that I just thought in the middle of a pandemic um, and the first lockdown, which you'll remember was like 30 degrees during the day and we were all out in the garden and put the kids to bed and, you know, I had nothing to do. We weren't allowed to go anywhere. And, you know, as a, you know, 40, what was I, 45, 46-year-old, these were the best years of my life. <laughs> By the way, anyone who's younger than me, your 40s are brilliant. Don't don't fear them. Your 40s are amazing. Um, so, yeah, I... I'm turning 40 next week. Are you? Yeah. My God, you're a youngster. You're a young man. I'm in fear. Are you? 40s are brilliant. Do you know what I've done in my 40s? I've like I've written, written I've written a book. I'm making records. I'm making paintings and selling them. I'm doing. Um, I, I'm reinventing myself and my career. And I've. I, I don't know why I never got. To, I, I don't know why I didn't start my forties way earlier. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I just went. You know what? We need to be brave. This isn't going to just happen for us. We need to be braver. And I got sick actually of. You know, in the best jobs I've ever had, where I've managed to. Um, drive creativity, drive brand, through those two things, drive um, growth, commercial growth. I've still had to be reminding someone somewhere every single week internally why we're doing this. Crazy. And I've gone, listen, you don't even need to, if you're sick of me, I'm sick of me. Look at the bloody numbers. Look at the numbers. Mm. And they'll say, yeah, but can you... um, can you attribute that back and can you measure that back? No, but what you can do is measure back what you were doing before, which was only <laughs> performance marketing. And we were like a half the size business, you know. Yes, I could tell you our CPA, but like there are certain things I don't want to measure. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, yeah, I just want to, yeah. because you instinctively know, you can see the business growing. So let's keep on it. And it's sooner or later, mm. the sales team or the product team or something would be struggling and marketing would get it in the neck. And it came to the point, Nathan, where I, and I, this would never have happened to me in my thirties. It can only happen to you in your forties, the decade of your life. Um, I just went, do you know what? If I do this again and go and spend all that time trying to convince somebody somewhere that my way of marketing could have a massive transformational effect, and I'm in there and we do two and a half years and then they sat me again because something goes wrong and and marketers, B2B marketers have a lower tenure than anyone in the business. You can live with that. I, I, well, no, it's like I don't want to live with that. I, I, I don't want to start again at 47 and then 49 and 51. I don't know if I'm going to have the energy to convince and start again. So I'm going to do my own thing. And my own thing is this course and it's training and it's consultancy and it's workshops. It's, mm. I, I'm finding time to do to be me. And it's all because of this. It's all because of bravery. It's all mm. because I was longing to talk about it and I did talk about it. And suddenly you sort of picture things differently and you go, actually, it's bravery is a mindset. It's actually healthy for you. It actually makes you feel more like you than 
colour coding uh, another identikit thought leadership white paper does. It really does. And, and it makes you both enjoy the job and um, it makes people value you more and it drives your fees up. It drives your salary commanding power up. It drives your respect and your agency up. People start relying on you for more things. You know what I did I at the weekend, no, earlier in this week, I was in Glasgow filming parts of the course with um, my business partner. Mm. And because there was filming going on and there was lots of technical stuff about, I picked up some black duct tape and I put it over my mouth. And I'm not sure I'm going to use this because it, looks a bit dodge but I, feel, I, I filmed myself doing a promo of just trying to talk with duct tape over my mouth and that's uh, you know the point is I'm going to put a headline saying this is a b2b marketer trying to talk about the other three p's this is a b2b marketer <laughs> trying to talk about pricing for god's sake because we're not allowed yeah you you start thinking about look we could really open b2b marketing up or mm. marketing in b2b and give ourselves a hell of a life a hell of a career Brilliant impact, valued more, self-value more. Why are we not doing this? And, you know, I think with Binet and Field and uh, John Evans at System One and his team and mm. Ritson and, um, you know, the B2B Institute, Weinberg and, and, and Lombardo and all of those guys, mm. you know, I've spoken this week about um, for a feature I'm writing to the likes of Nick Eads and Shane Redding and... I, you know, I'm, I'm convinced we're on the cusp of a new, a new era, and it's only there if we decide to take it. Mm. Oh my God, mm. I sound like a revolutionary. I, I'm, I'm convinced. I mean, if I was on the fence before, I'm definitely, I'm definitely not now. Um, I absolutely love that, and I think it, great book. I recommend all B two B marketers should go out and and get it. It is an absolute slap in the face, and it will definitely change the way that you think about B two B marketing. Mark, my, my closing question is one about food, which is what I love. Um, we're, at, we're at a restaurant, your favorite restaurant, as it, as it happens. Do you have a favorite restaurant? No, but I just got taken out by one of my clients who was over from Singapore today. Um, uh, he is the vice president of marketing at Content Square, and he was in town for like an hour. <laughs> um, and we met at a place called Bubbler in Shoreditch. Um, and uh, so my favourite restaurant is pretty much the last place I ate. The last yeah. place you and ate. So I'll re- Recency I'll, bias. Yeah, I'll recommend Bubbler. <laughs> we just had a damn good feed. It was lovely. Okay. All right. So we're, we're at Bubbler. Yeah. And you can invite three people, dead or alive, to dinner to make you smarter, braver, more capable, more creative in some way, shape or form. Ooh. Which three people do you bring and why? Three. Only three. Three people, dead or alive. Mm. So I'm going to bring back my dad. Oh. I genuinely miss him. And he died just before the book came out. And he is literally all over this book. Um, his influence, he would have seen his influence everywhere. He wouldn't have admitted it because he was quite a humble and modest man and incredibly proud of his three children. Uh, so he would have given all the credit to me, but he's coming. Beautiful. I then need, um, I'm going to go for 
John Lennon. Um, oh, okay. Because Field, Lesbonette, no. leaving them out. No, What's going- <laughs> mate, I love them. After, after the glowing, um, you know, explanation oh, that you gave where, to them for the last half an hour. I see where this is going. You needed me to. You need, no, no, no. They can they can come for drinks before or or meet us afterwards. They're on the B list. I mean, Nathan, you just invited me to take anyone from history to dinner. All right, Les- fair enough. doesn't get a look. Sorry, fair guys. Enough. Fair enough, <laughs> mate. Let, I'll, I'll save you a doggy bag. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking John Lennon because I'd grew up near Liverpool. Idolised the Beatles, and uh, we lost him first. I was around the day he died. I was five years old, and I still remember it. And I'm gonna bring back Rosa Parks because wow. um, me and um, my children have incredible books that they make for children these days about heroes and lessons and all of the great things that can happen when you make a change and you of speak all of, about bravery i mean come on yeah now nathan i'm gonna ask you a question you don't have to answer it now but think about it and all the reader all the listeners think about it think about the one thing that most of the people we celebrate in history have in common they're rule breakers yeah none of them took yes or no for an answer they all wanted to change the world for the better they were rebels they were brave now you don't change the world for the better at zero cost you wouldn't be brave if it cost you nothing it's likely to cost you a lot your freedom your liberty sometimes your life and the heroes that these kids get to read and think about i think we probably studied this stuff in school i don't remember but they don't they read it in their own time and they do projects on it and they talk about it over dinner and with one simple move rosa parks and the people she was with around the time change the world for the better and so i would love her to come and tell me about that time on the bus and in the meantime i would give her my advice on content marketing <laughs> i see why now lesbonette and peter field are not included come on i understand i get i get it fair enough those three people are yeah all right i'll let them in <laughs> good choices mark thank you so much for doing this Listen, let's do it again sometime. I really love talking to you. I love your podcast. Um, and in the meantime, let's talk six months on and see if we've managed to make a dent in B2B marketing. Would absolutely love that. Fab. This is Influence as a production of Bridge Growth, the B2B influencer agency for tech brands. I could not produce this show without our crack staff here at Bridge. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Boaszek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to This Is Influence.